Hi, and welcome to another edition of Smalls by Fireside. As always, you can find out more about our marketing services for small businesses at meetfireside.com. Click on the Smalls tab and find all of these episodes in video form or download us wherever you love to get your podcast from. Today, I am joined by Nine. Nine, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, friends. My name is Nine, like the number, and I own a business called Wedlock's Bridal Hair and Makeup based out of Denver, Colorado, and we are officially the number one and largest bridal hair and makeup company in Colorado. We do over 400 weddings a year. We have a team of over 20 professionals and yeah, we're just really getting to do what we love. And yeah, we're all just obsessed with what we do in the wedding industry. We're also beauty professionals as well. So we kind of get to be like a little bit like the salon world in the beauty industry, but also get to be in the wedding industry, which is both two very different industries, but really fun to straddle in both of those. So we love it. I'm suddenly feeling very self-conscious about my massive COVID hair at the moment. It's it's out of control. (laughs) I'm having the same thing. My hair is a little wild today, but you know, that's the funny thing about being in the beauty industry. You always have to have like your hair and makeup done. Right. For sure. I've got to ask the name. So I get asked a lot about the history of, of Dax, but I don't think I've ever met a, a nine before. So tell me a little bit about where that came from. Yeah. So this is probably the most frequently asked question about my name. So nine is short for Laura nine. Laura nine is Lorraine misspelled on my birth certificate. And yeah, I found out when I was 16 at the DMV that my birth certificate had been misspelled my mom and I got into a fight at the DMV because of it because <laughs> she knew, never thought it was going to be a problem and never told anybody and never fixed it. And so, yeah. So did she not like it? Is that why she, did she change her mind? And so she just thought, well, I'll call her nine and not tell her. Well, nobody called me anything. So they all called me Whiffer growing up because that's my family nickname. So I grew up in a small suburb of LA called Burbank. And so, yeah, everybody kind of called me Whiffer. Most of the time, like my teachers ended up calling me Whiffer, my friends, my family. When I graduated from high school, they said Whiffer when I walked across the stage because nobody would have known who I was other than that. So after high school and I was in beauty school, that's when I started going by Lore Nine and then nobody could remember it. So everyone just called me Nine and it was just now everybody remembers it. And it's Nine Morrison is my married last name. So it's pretty I think it's pretty much like a rock star name. So That's a fa- it's like a fantastic it. name. Yes. Was it a bit of a identity crisis or real shock to the system when you learned that actually the name you thought you had wasn't really your name? Or Yeah, so it's kind of funny. I always had like an identity crisis with my name, like my entire life, which is why I actually never went by like my legal names. Like I've never gone by my legal names. So I've always kind of had an identity crisis. But yeah, when I found out that it was Laurenine, I was very, I was really upset that day. And then the next day it just became the funniest story. And then I told everybody, I was like, you guys, my name is legally Laurenine. That's not even a real name. (laughs) It was just the funniest thing. And I really like adopted that, you know? And so then, then I just, was like, Laura Nine is me now, right? And I was like, finally, an original name that nobody else has, right? So I really love Laura Nine. 
But again, most people call me nine. The only people who really call me Laura nine is like my husband and my husband's family because mm-hmm. they met me as Laura nine. But yeah, so nine, Laura nine. I don't mind being called Laura nine, but nine. That's just fantastic. You, when you got an unusual name, you just have to embrace it. My mother-in-law for the first six months of having met her called me Jax because she didn't believe anybody would call somebody Dax. And so just, <laughs> just decided it was, uh, was going to be Jax. And my, if I remember rightly, my ex-wife's grandfather, his entire life was called Bobby. And then one day when he retired from the railway service, he, they live in South Africa, when he retired from the railway service, his pension came through and that wasn't his name at all. And it was nothing like Bobby and it had never been Bobby, but everybody had called him that. And so that was, that was what he ended up sticking with. That's so funny. My favorite thing is when people don't know the whole story of my name and they just think it's nine and then they're like, so what's your sister's name? And I'm like, her name's Jessica. (laughs) Whether they're expecting like eight or 10. Yeah. Yeah. People think there's some sort of like story about the numerology, but there's really not. But there was a guy named seven who went to beauty school with me for- That's astonishing. Yeah. So there was a seven and and nine in the same beauty school. And it was so funny. Like, what are the odds of that? And that's the only other person with a number that I've ever met. I know like people who have days of the week names, but not numbers. He is the only one that I know. (laughs) We're way off topic here. Days of the week? Yeah. (laughs) I know a Tuesday. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, but sometimes parents just have a bit of a brain fart when it comes to naming their children. And this is how we end up with Tuesdays. Yeah. I mean, I try to get my husband to let me name my youngest daughter, Tennessee, so we could have nine and 10, but he said no. (laughs) (laughs) Good try. Good try. I tried. I tried. But no. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about why you chose to start this business. As one of my dear friends would say, I did kind of get into the bridal industry kicking and screaming. Okay. In the beauty space, in the beauty industry, so if we're specifically talking hairstylists, hairstylists on average, only about 80% of hairstylists don't like bridal and don't do it. Like straight up won't do it because bridal and updos is something that's really not a big focus in hair school, right? Because it's a special event kind of thing, right? It's not necessarily like the everyday. So the traditional route for any kind of beauty professional is usually going to be in a salon environment, right? Mm. And so for me, I've always known since I was five years old that I would own a business. And then once I got into the beauty industry, I was like, well, I don't want to own a salon. I always knew that I never wanted to own like a salon. And I was like, well, what kind of business am I going to have if I'm in the beauty industry without a salon, right? So it is kind of funny that this ended up, that I did end up in the bridal industry, but Yeah. So with that, like how we started was really like, I was working at a salon in Boulder. I had a full clientele and by any definition would be considered a successful hairstylist. And, but I was like, I meant for more than this. Mm -hmm. And so I realized that there wasn't a whole lot of options for on location bridal hair in Boulder or really in the surrounding areas, there weren't a whole lot of options. And so I started, so it actually started, the idea started with a couple other coworkers of mine in the salon. They ended up getting really busy with their own lives. One started going to nursing school and things like that. And I was like, you know, that idea we had, I'm going to actually go ahead and do that. But I didn't have a passion for bridal yet. So I ended up like just 
really educating myself and getting really, really good at up styles and then, and makeup. And then we wanted to add makeup on. So it really kind of, I don't necessarily recommend going that way. Usually it's like passion and then the business, but I had a passion for business was really more or less how that kind of started. And now now I get to do so many awesome things. I work with I work with Moroccan oil. I'm, for lack of better terms, I'm Moroccan oil's bridal beauty expert. So what's Moroccan oil? Moroccan oil is a hair care product line. Most women are familiar with it. It's in this like beautiful teal bottles. And yeah, so I get to work with them on a, mostly in the States right now, but we are, I've been talking with some of my educator friends over in the UK. So hopefully in the next couple of years, I'll get to go over to the UK and stuff. But I teach at their academy in New York. So I teach bridal business and yeah, it's so much fun. So I'm all over the place. I'm a big educator person and I do a lot of education and then as well as my own business. So I do have another company called Wedlocks Education and that's where we get to educate beauty professionals on how we built a super successful business and how they can do that themselves as well. What format does that take? Is that obviously COVID times accepted? Um, Is that usually in-person classes? Do you provide online training? All of the above. So with Wedlocks Education, we do so much online just because, especially in the education field, I just meet people from all over the country, so and and Canada and all over the place. And so most of it's online. We have a lot of online resources, a ton of free resources. I mean, we do weekly blogs. I we're very active on Instagram. And yeah, but then we have coaching and online coaching as well as like hair and makeup education classes that you can bring into your salon as well. It's interesting to hear you talk about that because when we've done these smalls conversations with estate planners, divorce attorneys, chiropractors, CPAs, uh, it seems that there is this common problem that people get this professional qualification and nobody ever teaches them how to then go out and run a business or market a business. So we keep finding all of these niche organizations like your weblocks where you're essentially filling in that gap that they have in that knowledge that they, they didn't get through the, the initial education. Exactly. And so many, especially right now in the beauty industry, um, I don't know if you're familiar with salon suites, but mm. now there's this concept, salon suites, that actually started here in Denver was where the concept started. And basically you can come into a building, you're coming into a building and there are all these micro salons within the building. And like, I'm talking micro with like a hundred square feet. You have a hundred square feet salon. You've got your chair, you've got your sink, you have all of your color and it's just one person in there and you have your own micro business and you are the salon owner. Wow. And so there's a ton of these concepts popping up all over the place. And I think it's really great. And I think it's super wonderful. And there's so much independence and all of that, which I'm definitely a big supporter of. However, most stylists and beauty professionals are not educated on the business portion end of it, where it's like, okay, yeah, but the salon was doing all of this external, like marketing receptionists and like the budget and like all that kind of stuff where you don't always think about how that's going to kind of come back into play in the long run. So, so that's also super helpful too, where it's kind of funny because if you look at the Wedlocks Education website and the blogs and 
all of the different education that we put out there, it really applies for most businesses. Right. And it's not just like bridal beauty <laughs> services. Mm-hmm. So it really does apply to pretty much any business, especially a service-based business. But mm-hmm. we definitely, I speak from a stylist standpoint. So, but I love it. It's, it's been so fun. We've, we started that in October and it's just been, it's blown up. Moroccan oil has also been a huge supporter of it as well, which has been really great too. It's good to have a partner like that, which is a big recognized brand is, is always yeah. a, a nice kind of checkbox for people to, uh, to have with you. I wonder if those micro salon ideas are going to be a big help as we start to come out of COVID lockdown. You, they can probably be positioned as being more sterile and clean. And there's certainly social distancing if it's just two of you in a room as opposed to all the other customers. Absolutely. Yeah. So you really have a much less contact with other people. There's yeah. not all these people like you're literally just going into your one room where your stylist is. So I think it does help, especially in the post COVID world where all of that, yeah, definitely much more sterile as that goes on, but it definitely is also affecting the beauty industry as a whole, because you're really changing what the culture of the beauty industry is and which the culture of salon life is like, right? So it's kind of interesting. And, you know, that that poses an interesting question I've often wondered about. So we live here in Denver as well. And and my wife chooses to have a lady who comes to our house Mm -hmm. to do her hair. And Sarah and I have often debated how this woman charges for those services. She will charge less than the studio or than than the salon experience because she feels like she's giving so much less because people aren't getting that salon experience and that's what people want. I've often argued that perhaps I could see her charging more than going to a salon because of course she's giving up more of her time so she'd have to but also I mean for my wife it's it's a godsend to have her come here because she can carry on working on the laptop while she's sitting there with her color waiting yeah what's your opinion of that do you think that generally people are wanting that rich salon experience as part of a beauty or hair treatment i think it really depends on who the person is right someone like me who's extremely extroverted and just like craves like social interaction i loved being in the salon environment in the aspect of like i wasn't just social and like friendly with my clients. I was friendly with the stylist sitting next to me and all of her clients Mm -hmm. and the other stylist on the other side and all of his clients. Like we all knew each other. Right. And it was a fun experience where like, I would see my neighbor, my station neighbor, (laughs) I would see my station neighbors clients every single week to get their weekly blowout or whatever. And we would like pick up our conversations too. So like that would be one experience that people are getting, but then also like your wife, we always call it the Beyonce experience. Your wife's getting a Beyonce experience, right? And that's kind of what we do because we do most of our weddings on location. Because we do most of our weddings on location where we are like, oh yeah, you're getting your Beyonce moment, right? And so with that, we don't actually, like for our services, we don't technically charge more than a salon would, but then we have a travel fee on top of that, right? right? So there is some sort of extra fee, but yeah. So you're certainly not discounting your services because they're not getting that. No, so that is an interesting thing that she does that. And I I understand where her mentality is coming Mm -hmm. from, where she has less overhead because of that. 
but realistically the amount of time and mm -hmm. energy that she's putting into that doing it somewhere else is like and and not in the same space it's a lot of time mm -hmm. like moving and traveling all the time i mean that's what we do so it takes up a lot and you got to pay a premium price for it so right yeah. that's interesting so uh, I want to ask about the wedding industry. You know, yeah. there's the old phrase in TV of never work with children and animals. And I've heard people who mostly in the event space also would add brides to that list if, if they could. The stereotype is that a, a bride in the most generic sense can be very difficult to work with and can be a very stressful customer. Do you find that to be the case and how do you deal with that? It's a really great question. And it's honestly, when we talk to beauty professionals and we're like, okay, so if only 20% of beauty professionals are actually doing weddings, why, why? Mm. Right. And so when we've pulled beauty professionals, they've said, you know, the two biggest things are lack of education. So they don't feel confident in doing upstyles or working on weddings. And then the other big thing that they're, that they're lacking is they're like, I don't want to work with the bridezilla. I don't like using the term bridezilla, but it's the most common term that people use. But so what I always tell them with that, I'm like, okay, so then you're not marketing. So last year we had 433 brides and we had one bride that we fired. One bride. At, at what stage in the process did you fire her? We were seven weeks out from the wedding, which that's a very stressful thing, but I will say and the only reason we did that, and like, I don't even like using the term fired the bride, oh. but at the same time, the reason we did that was because once we realized that we were not the right fit and there was absolutely no way that we could provide the expectation and the service that she wanted, then we were like, okay, now we need to find her the bridal, like the team of her dreams, because that's not us. And like, I think that's doing business with integrity. And so what we actually did was I personally reached out to every single bridal beauty company and I helped her reschedule every, I was like, I will hold your hand through this process because I know it's very like your wedding is soon. I'm like, I'm only doing this because I think it's the right thing. So, but the biggest thing that I always say and, and with my team is that if we get a hard, a challenging client in our chair, that's not their fault. That's not the client's fault. That's not my professional's fault. That's my fault. Because that means I didn't market to the right person correctly. Hmm. And so for me, one of the biggest, when I first started this business, I, I did reach out to this woman named Allison Harper. She owns another bridal beauty company in Laurel, Maryland. Okay. And I reached out to Allison Harper. I'd been stalking her for a couple of years and just cold emailed her and she had no idea who I was. And I was like, hi, I want to have a business just like yours. And to my surprise, she emailed me back and we had a phone call. And one of the best pieces of advice that I ever got was like, you need to know your ideal client mm. and not just like, oh, she's between 28 and 32 and she makes six figures. No. Her name is Emily. She's 31 years old. She met her fiance her sophomore year at CU. She is actually in marketing and she works at this company. And like, I know everything about Emily. I know where she lives. I know her cat's name. I know all of these things. And so 
with every single thing of our business, every business decision that I make, Emily is considered in that. I think of Emily. When I'm redesigning a logo, I'm like, okay, does Emily like peonies or does she like succulents, Mm -hmm. right? Like I think about those things and guess what? Once I did that, every bride who sat in my chair was Emily in one way or another, whether she had the same job as Emily, her cat had the same name or she lived in the same neighborhood. Like every single bride that sat in our chair was Emily. So what's Emily's cat's name? (laughs) Douglas, of course. Okay. Okay. Good to know. It is such great advice because I don't think people know how to define who their customer is. And for me, all of my attitude to marketing changed when I learned to define who the customer is not. Do you have attributes where you also define Emily based on things that Emily doesn't do or at things that Emily wouldn't like or who she wouldn't be? Absolutely. And Emily is like a mixture of a lot of different people. And Emily, I mean, there's small parts of me and Emily, but honestly, it's more other people that I know or other brides that we've worked with. But there's definitely things that like Emily, I really get into like the nitty gritty of Emily's hypothetical psyche because she's not a real person, but she is to me. And like, if we use the example of like succulents versus peonies in a logo, and this is an actual example because I decided peonies because I was like, you know what? I'm going to decide peonies because Emily loves trendy things, but she also really loves something that's timeless. Succulents are trendy right now. Peonies are timeless. I mean, I've got peonies behind me, so (laughs) there's that, there's that too. So like our logo ended up having peonies. I've got this giant peonies wall and all of that. But I think about those little things and I think about the things that Emily likes and dislikes and just all of that. That's fantastic. I was listening to a lady being interviewed on a BBC podcast the other day, and I really wish I could remember her name. Some of our listeners might recognize the description. She's an author. She writes one book a year. She's just published her 30th book. So this is the 30th year she's been writing. And she was talking about her writing process. So she has a date every year where she puts out this book. And so she starts the process kind of a month after the last book was put out. She said something fascinating, which is when she is first thinking about the story and the characters, she will define the characters. And then part of her process is she will sit down and have a conversation in her head where she interviews those characters. And she keeps a notebook on each of these characters where she knows all of those things that you're talking about that may very well never be details in the story itself. But when she's making decisions about what her characters would feel or think, feel or think, think or feel in a situation, then she has that rich context in which to dive into. That that's great advice. I think a lot of people listening to this will will really start now thinking about who their customers are. Yeah, I love that. I love that she does that. Like that's incredible. I know. Isn't isn't it clever? I really thought okay. about that. For instance, with Fireside clients yeah. to uh, to go through that type of um to go through that type of exercise obviously i'm lucky and then i get to talk to many of them in smalls so i can kind of ask them those questions for real but as from an avatar point of view that's clever so more than 400 weddings a year what does the company structure look like to manage that yeah so it's been a really interesting thing and it's constantly changing we've had girls on our team because our business is only four years old And we've had girls on our team that have been, the longest girls have probably been on our team for three years. 
And then, but then we've had people who've like been friends of the company for years and have been and seen the whole evolution. And, um, it's really interesting because it's always changing. And I tell my, my team, I'm like our company structure, I'm sorry, guys, will always change. It's always going to change and it's always going to improve and get better based on your experiences, our experiences and our clients' experiences. And so basically how it goes right now, we actually just switched everyone over from independent contractors to employees at the first of the year. What a hell of a year to do that, but (laughs) I'm still really happy about it. And the biggest reason we did that was because we wanted to maintain control over the quality of service provided. And so not a lot of other, actually none of the other companies that I know of in the state of Colorado hire anybody as employees in the space that what we do. And so we're trying to provide a long-term employment option for beauty professionals and not just in the fact of like, okay, you're just going to be working and churning out weddings for the rest of your career, right? It's also like, okay, so where are you going to fit in with corporate wedlocks, mm-hmm. right? Corporate wedlocks right now, it's just my husband and I, but at the same time, I'm like, so what do you want to do? What are your goals? Because if you love being an educator, you can be an educator, because I can't do all of the education by myself. And so just kind of finding out where people's niches are with that. But it's pretty, pretty great as far as to work for us. We wanted to make this one of the best companies to work for. That's actually the first part of our mission statement. The first part of our mission statement is about working for us and is about the experience of being a beauty professional working for us. We want that to be one of the most important things is how our employees and how our team is treated and how they feel and all of that. So that's And is that because you think that will have a positive impact on the level of service they provide or is there another motivation behind it? 100%. I mean, I think that I mean, it's kind of a dual motivation for that. I know that if we take care and respect our employees, and it's something that Sir Richard Branson, one of his Mm -hmm. philosophies as well, to train your people well enough so that they can leave you, but treat them well enough so that they never want to. And that's really a philosophy of ours. Also just giving, we really want to be able to give the opportunities that are not given in traditional salons because everybody thinks that like, oh, the salon is the only way that they can go with their career path. And there's so many other options, this being one of them. We have members of our team who can make a full-time living doing this, even though it's seasonal and they'll only work, they'll work five days a week for six months, but they'll make their entire year's living in six months if they Mm. want to. So that's really awesome too. And we are going to be expanding. We were going to be expanding this year. Now we have to put that off a little bit, but expanding into other states. So Florida is our next state. Reason being is because the Florida wedding season is opposite of Colorado, which is convenient. Oh, how clever. Yeah. So that's convenient as far as like the next state we'll move into. I've also got a ton of family in Florida. So Florida is just a really good place for us. That's interesting. I never really thought about that so much. So it's seasonal, but it's also focused around a couple of days of the week or are weddings now more seven days a week? Yeah. So here in Colorado, we have a really wide net as far as we have a lot of elopements and a ton of destination brides come here. A ton, like massive amount. Because of the scenery you think for the pictures or what's, yeah. Yeah, it's not like, that they want everybody at the wedding party just to be able to have easy access to drugs. <laughs> yes, they can have a uh, 
a cannabis bar and things like that. Right. Edibles but, in the uh, canapes. Yeah. I know. I, I know people in the industry who do that. So Why um, am I not surprised? <laughs> exactly. They're called bud tenders in case you were ever curious. Yes. There you go. But but elopements as well. I wonder why so many elopements to Colorado. Yes. Is the age of marriage different here? Not so much. The age of marriage here is still pretty much the same as like what it is nationally, which is about uh, the average age of a couple is about 32. Okay. But really it's the mountains. The mountains are like what really pulls people in and not necessarily that they'll get married in the mountains because a lot of them get married like on the front range, hmm. um, but a ton of them of mountain elopements and adventure elopements is actually a really big thing. And I have a lot of friends in the industry who are like specifically niche adventure elopement photographers or videographers and things like that, where, and what that looks like, that looks like you getting up at three 30 in the morning and hiking a mountain and getting there at sunrise. And then like, holding each other's hands, saying a few, like saying your, your little vows and taking pictures in the freezing cold in front of a lake on the top of a mountain. That's I imagine not- those people don't take beauticians and stylists with them. No, but we actually have a wedding coming up where our team member has to be there at 1 a.m. to start getting her ready. So they're getting her ready before she has to go hike three miles up a mountain. So well, I love it. I, one of, this is one of the things I really love about Colorado. We do oh, yeah. such crazy, fun things as a, as a state. A couple of thoughts came to mind when you were talking about culture. I don't know if Zappos still do this, but certainly pre-acquisition by Amazon, Zappos always used to have a policy where you went through their employee training, their onboarding. And then at the end of it, I believe it was $3,000 they paid you to quit there and then. So you went to onboarding and then if you quit, they'd pay you $3,000. And the reason for that is it was a very extreme example of what you're talking about, which is if people aren't bought into your culture and your idea, and you know that if they are, they will be more successful, the cost of you keeping that person around will be significantly more in the long term than it is just to pay them and get rid of them. I'd actually like to find out what the what the uptake of that was. The, the, in the early days when I knew someone in the Zappos team, they said it was always quite low, but it'd be interesting to see how that evolved. It's, it's an interesting tactic, I think. <laughs> I like it though. <laughs> right. So Florida next, have you know in your mind how between you and your husband then you will manage that? Will you decamp for six months of the year? Perhaps. We're kind of playing with that idea. So we would definitely have a team manager down in Florida. And so my husband works for, for Wedlocks full-time now, and mm-hmm. he works in the office doing back-end stuff and emails and things like that. We say that if I got hit by a bus, it's not a big deal because Ryan can run Here. all of the day-to-day, which is awesome. And he's been on for about a little over a year now with us, and it's been great. Um, but yeah, so basically we'd have to have somebody who's essentially doing my husband's job in Florida. So being like the team manager, but also being kind of a hybrid between us where they're doing some of the things that I do as well with like training and hiring. So there would be- I can't think of a more critical hire. Yes, it definitely is. And so, yeah, as an educator and especially as a Moroccan oil educator, I know all the other educators for Moroccan oil. And so we're all over the planet literally and i always say like if i wanted to go to any state or any country i'd probably have a couch to crash on with a moroccan oil friend and so that's actually kind of a really great way that we 
already know, we already have people who want to work for us in Florida that are aware of us and want us to come and things like that. So it will be a very critical hire, but I've got some people in mind already and some options. So I'm good. I'm pumped for it. I'm excited. That's great. In comparison to where you thought you'd be today four years ago, do you feel like you've made it? Have you achieved the thing that you set out to achieve? I definitely would say that we've blown all of the goals out of the water. I did write a business plan before I started my business. And just because I'm a statistics person and the statistics I read were like, oh, if 90% of businesses fail in the first five years. The ones who were a business plan had a 17% higher chance of success in those five years. And I was like, well, honey, I can get all, I need all the help I can get. So I wrote a business. Take that 17%, sure. Yeah, I will take it. So it's kind of nice because I sat down and I wrote out my goals. Here's my six month goal, my one year goal, three year and five year. And so Four years ago, when I sat down and wrote out my original goal, my five-year goal was to be doing 100 weddings a year. Here we are four years later. We did that. My, our first year, we, the goal was 25. We did 47. And then the next year, we did 160-something. Next year was 300, 400. Can so, you put your finger on what went so much better or what, what went so well? Or, yeah, like what, what, was, what was the difference between your expectation about how it would take, what it would take to grow to those numbers in comparison to ultimately what happened? I guess I didn't, I underestimated the, the actual need for what we were doing mm. and the level of what, like how much, and the volume that we could do because like I never planned on leaving the salon. I planned on being a salon hairstylist and continuing to run this business. And within a year I had to quit my salon, right. And run the business full time. And so I think, yeah, I just, we really underestimated like how many people really did need these services and didn't have a great on location option. They could go into a salon or they could hire somebody who's solo, who only works by themselves. But then that comes with its whole other kinds of risks that you're taking. Like what if that person gets sick or sometimes a lot of what happens in the wedding industry that we hear about is stylists or makeup artists canceling on somebody because they got a bigger wedding party. Right. That was a massive amount of inquiries that we got last year. So, and the thing is, is we could be doing realistically, we, so like last year, we've got about 2000 inquiries last year, 2000. And I would say at least 75% of the ones that we didn't take were because we were already booked. And so the only thing stopping bottlenecking our growth is having enough trained professionals to work for us. We could book a thousand weddings a year in just Colorado, but I don't have the trained staff that are putting out the content or the work at our standards. It takes a lot of training to be a wedlocks professional. It takes a lot of training on our end. We have to invest a ton of like money and time into them before they can even work on a wedding. So that's another thing. So yeah, it's really just like the professionals and who wants to work for us. 
what marketing or what activity or, or what's really driving that crazy high level of demand? Yeah, a lot of it, honestly, I think is a lot of brand awareness. We're just doing things differently. And I'm such a nerd on business stuff. Like I geek out on like just productivity and like going to conferences and just personal growth, business growth, all of that. Like I'm such a junkie about it. And so I think that that's one of the big things is that we're not just, I'm not just creating this cute little business that I can brag about. That's not my goal. My goal is to create change in the beauty industry. My goal is to create change in the wedding industry and to just take the standards to a different level on how and what we're doing. And so I play for keeps. I'm not here just. Oh, I can tell. Yeah. I'm not here because I think it's going to be fun because let me tell you right now, the COVID days, these are not fun to be a business owner, but at the same time, like, Ooh, how can we adapt? Challenge accepted. And I loved your guys' ebook on, you know, marketing during a crisis. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And it's starting to turn my wheels on like some of the ways that we could do better. Right. And what are we not doing? What are, what way can we serve our audience better? And so we've got some really fun stuff in the works as far as, you know, rebounding from this crisis Mm -hmm. and also making sure that long-term I I'm also thinking about, I'm planning right now. I'm like, okay, so when COVID comes back, then what are we doing? That's what I'm planning for right now. I'm planning for the return of COVID 2.0. I'm for COVID 20. I'm planning for that because I know nobody else in my industry is. They're just trying to, they're looking at what's happening right now and just trying to wait it out. When you've figured that out, can you call the US and British governments and kind of tell them your plan? Because they're not thinking about COVID wave 2.0, I don't think yet either. Exactly. So I'm like, okay, so I'm going to plan for not the if, but the when. Yeah. And guess what? If it never happens by some miraculous (laughs) reason it doesn't happen, then great. And I'm resilient and we're better for it. And we've got a whole new different system and things that we can add to our tool belt Mm -hmm. from this. But yeah, it's all about just like thinking about the adapting and what we're going to do when it comes back and all of that. We've definitely seen from fireside clients, the ones that have thrived during this have had that type of mentality. They've looked at it as an opportunity to do better than their competitors are doing in this situation. And the few that I think stalled for a while were the ones that were almost paralyzed by fear for a little while and kind of thought, okay, maybe I just need to close down for a little while and then I'll come back. And of course, every type of business is different, but that mentality of plan for the worst case and use it as an opportunity to tear your business apart, look at new opportunities, find new angles is, is the best possible way you could be doing it. We're coming towards the end of time. I have a question for you. A lot of our listeners work with their spouse and you do too. Do you have any particular ways that you've had to find between you that you have to do that to make that successful? 100%. I would say every time I say I'm never going to do something in my <laughs> life or my business that I, I do. So I never thought my husband and I would end up working together and here we are. And, you know, I would say the first six months were absolutely the hardest. 
at this point, this week is actually our 10, 10 years since we met this week. We've been together for a long time. And that first six months, was it was so horrible. And there were so many times where we're just like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? Is this going to work? But I think that the biggest adjustments we've had to make is obviously our communication. Communication is always huge and relinquishing the control, right? And not micromanaging him and giving him the ownership over his position because I know how to do his entire job because I created the job. (laughs) And so it's kind of interesting where sometimes he'll come to me and he'll be like, all right, so what should we do with this? And I'm like, I don't know. That's not my job. And for him, he'll get frustrated sometimes. I'm like, no, no, no. This, I'm trying to give you ownership over this. And this is your decision to make. It's not my decision. I'm like, there are certain decisions that are mine, but I also want to give him power in his position to make decisions that really are going to affect him more than they're going to affect me or brides or anything. So I think that's a big one is, yeah, just giving up the control and have the division. Yeah. yeah. Have the division under- for sure. Yeah, and whose position is where and where the line is drawn, I think. Right. I was just quickly trying to look up the episode number for our listeners. Uh, listeners may also like to listen to Stephanie Jones of Feed Media. She was episode two of S'mores on the podcast series. Her and Derek, her husband, also work together. And what I find interesting is the parallels you're drawing is both of you really talk about an importance of understanding what each of you do and where the responsibility lies and then having that ability to step back and say, okay, this person now owns this just as you would, I suppose, in a larger organization with your employees that you might hire. Are you the sort of person that naturally finds that easy or was that a real challenge for you? With employees? No, to relinquish that sort of control and and hand over such ownership to something that you had so recently built. I think that I trust my husband so much and he is so much my partner in so many things and the business wouldn't be where it's at. I wouldn't be where I'm at like without him. And he's such a back, like the backbone of our family. But I obviously take a lot of center stage just because I'm even more extroverted than he is. We both are extroverted. We both grew up in like the performing arts in LA and all of that, but I trust him so much and I know that he's so capable We always say there's two things that you need to do a job. You have to be willing and you have to be able. And I've met people who are willing, not able, or people who are able and not willing, right? And so we've had all of that happen. And I've had other people in my husband's position before my husband was in that position. So I've had to train other people and then realize you're not able to do this job. Got it. So- It's actually, I think because I did it with somebody else first and then had my husband come on that then I was like, you are so much more capable and able and like able to improve upon the things that I've been doing because you know how to work spreadsheets better than I do. So (laughs) and God love those people who know how to work spreadsheets in the right ways. I mean, unto themselves. Thank you. That's a great bit of advice for us to end on. Nine, will you tell the audience where they can come find you online? Yes. So Wedlocks is wedlocksbridalhair.com. On Instagram, we're just at wedlocks. Yes, I got the wedlocks handle. Woo-hoo. That was a whole 
that's its own story. And then uh, me personally, if you want to follow me, most of my Instagram is me and my babies and hair stuff, but that's nine Morrison. And then we were also wedlocks education. So wedlockseducation.com or just at wedlocks education. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you everybody for tuning in. As always, you can visit meetfireside.com to learn more. Click on the smalls tab to watch these episodes in video form and you can find us wherever you like to get your podcast. Nine, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Dax. I had such a great time. Thanks for having me.